0: We are lifting Him up in song and praise, and now we're going to lift Him up by the reading of His Word and the understanding of that. Would you turn with me, get out your Bibles, and uh, open up to the book of Ephesians. If you uh, don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one there in the pew and read along with us. You'll see the... Page number there under the sermon notes. It's go through the Gospels, past Romans and Corinthians, and you'll be in Galatians and then Ephesians. This is our third sermon in a in a pretty long series on the book of Ephesians. The first sermon was an introduction; we got a feel for kind of the city and where it fit geographically and historically, and where it fit in Paul's ministry. And uh, now, then the second sermon, we looked at kind of the overview of Ephesians. We got a feel for the whole. And today we come and we look at it verse by verse. Y'all are struggling with this, aren't you? You're, You're having a did it get your attention? Okay, well, then I'm done with it. That's all I needed to do was just to get your attention. You ever thought about what it takes to get your attention? You know, people spend, businesses spend millions of dollars trying to figure out how to get your attention. How to get my attention. And they do it through, through lights and noises and TV and phone. They do it through being a clown. They do it through being sexy. I figured I'd be better at a clown than sexy. So, uh, you know, I went that route. But they do a lot to get our attention. You know, I did a, a, a science project this week. If you go to my mailbox, from my mailbox to my back door, it takes me 19 seconds to walk. But on the way to my back door is my garbage can. And so I kind of kept a running tally, and about three-fourths of my mail doesn't make it in the house. It goes straight into the garbage can. And you think about that mail that I just threw away. Somebody paid for that. They probably paid quite a bit. They were trying to get my attention. They had 19 seconds, and they missed. They miss most of the time, as a matter of fact. You know why? Because we know everybody wants our attention. We know they want to sell us something. We know they're trying to get us to to do something. And so we have become incredibly adept at ignoring people trying to get our attention. What does it take to get our attention? You know, the reason I open with that this morning is because we're getting ready to look at two verses that wouldn't get your attention. Nothing would jump out. As a matter of fact, when you do pause on that piece of junk mail, when you do pause and watch that commercial, it's because something caught your eye and you said, there might be something I need in this. But we would come and look at these two verses and say, oh, there's nothing here. There's nothing I need in this. And we would blow right on past it. it. It wouldn't make it in the house. It'd go in the garbage. Man, don't miss this. What's in these verses has everything that your life needs. So let's look at that now. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to read just verses uh, 1 and 2. It says there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the saints and believers in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you see? Everything in life that you need right there. You're going yeah, I guess. Where is it? I don't know. As a matter of fact, we read that it kinda of looks like a form letter, doesn't it? It is actually kind of a form. As a matter of fact, if you'll flip through and look at Paul's different letters throughout the New Testament, you'll find these first few verses, like the other opening verses in these letters, are very similar. In some cases, they're identical. Say, so man, can 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 a, can a form? Can a form opening be the inspired word of God? Can, 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 dear sirs, have something that my life needs? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. What your life needs is in these verses. Don't miss it. And you say, Pastor, I'm all for not missing it. Could you go ahead and point out though what it is I'm not supposed to miss? Yeah, let's look at that here in Ephesians chapter one. Paul opens first of all with the confidence and with the direction that we need in life. Now, you look at this first line here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Now, that's when we just say, man, there is nothing in that for me. I'm not Paul. I'm not an apostle. And what does God's will for Paul have to do with my life? I mean, the whole first line, boom, in the garbage can. Don't need it. But what if Paul opened the letter and said, you know what? I live my life exactly where I'm supposed to be, doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And you too can live with that exact same confidence, that exact same kind of direction in your life. Would that catch our attention? Boy, I bet it would. Because a lot of us struggle sometimes with not being real happy with where we are, not being real happy with what we're doing. And we're sure, man, I've got to change. I mean, if I could be in a different place, if I could be doing something, I need a different job, I need a different house, I need a different mate, I need a different car, I need anywhere but where I am, anything but doing what I'm doing, that will give me happiness. Gosh, what would it be like to live every day with that kind of confidence? Well, it's actually, it's right in here. The line again, it opens up, Paul, and he's an apostle. Now, we've heard that word. We know what an apostle is. That's one of those guys that, that walked around with Jesus When he was doing his ministry, there was 12 of them. Of course, one got cut. He had problems with the front office and went to the rival team. But uh, Jesus replaced Judas with Paul. And so you've got these 12 apostles. There's actually a standard. There was a criteria for being an apostle. One, you had to have been with Jesus. You had to have seen Jesus and been a part of his earthly ministry. The other criteria was that you had to have been an eyewitness to his resurrection, Now, there again, we understand that. We say, well, that's that's not me. I mean, to understand that would just seem to distance Paul even more from me. I mean, there is nothing about his life that is like my life. But we see this here and we go on into the New Testament. We find out there are others outside of the twelve that are also called apostles. Barnabas, Apollos, James, the half-brother of Jesus. These guys were also called apostles. Now, is there a difference? Between the twelve and then these others who were also called apostles, the answer is yes. The twelve held the office of apostle. The others had the gift of apostleship. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, you could probably understand something like this. Randy Hahn holds the office of minister, but all of you minister. Some of you have a very particular ministry, a very specific ministry that you enjoy and that you're very good at. Others, you may just minister to and encourage people. You're good at ministering. There is an individual, or in our staff, in our, in our church, a number of individuals who hold the office of minister, but the whole church family ministers. Paul, when he says he was an apostle, he's referring to the office of Of apostleship. That means he is an official delegate of Jesus Christ, possessed by Jesus for the sole purpose of spreading the gospel and building the church. It's kind of a big, high sounding definition, isn't it? You know, a very literal, very simple understanding of that word apostle in its original language is just sent. An apostle is somebody who is sent. Paul was sent on a mission, he was sent with a message. Now, all of a sudden, Paul's just drawn back to us. His life's not so distant from mine. His life's not so far from mine because we are all sent. We're all sent with a title. We're all sent with a message. You say, what are you talking about? Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 19 and 20. It says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling. God was making right. God was making friends with the world. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation. He has committed that message. He has given that message. He has charged us with that message. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I'm just like Paul. The the, the same thing that gave Paul a, a sense of direction and confidence in life is the same thing that I have, it's the same thing that you have. We have a message. I mean, second Corinthians just told us what that message is. We enter the world. We enter our world with a message. You can be friends with God. He wants to forgive your sins. I Meaning, a lot of the world out there thinks God's angry, thinks he's mad, thinks He wants to, to push people away. We carry the great news. No, He wants to be your friend. He wants to forgive sins. We, we even get a title. Did y'all pick that up? We're ambassadors. Now, folks, there is a strong similarity between the word ambassador and the word apostle. You think about it. Both of them are messengers. They're both sent with a message and neither one of them is the originator of the message. Both of them have an authority behind them, a king or a president. They have been sent. The, the one who gives the message is behind them. The one with the authority is behind them. And that's what's true of an apostle. It's what's true of an ambassador. It's not our message That we carry. It's our King's message, and He sends us into the world with this message. And you know what? We get that position not because of how good we are, or because we earned it, or because we took a class on it, or because somebody came by and bestowed on us the title of ambassador. We get that the same way Paul got it by God's will. God's will, God's desire, God's working in your life is for the purpose of making you this messenger this messenger who will go out into the world and plead with them, you can be reconciled to God. Now, folks, do you see the power this can have in our lives? I'm not just in a marriage I'm an ambassador to that marriage. I'm an ambassador to that family. I'm not just in a neighborhood. I'm an ambassador to that neighborhood. I'm not just in a job. I'm an ambassador to that job. Man, if I'm an electrician, then I'm an ambassador to other electricians and the people they serve. If I work down at the plant, then I'm an ambassador to that plant. And to everybody there, I carry that message. You say, oh man, don't say that. I hate my job. That's okay. Hate it. Ask God to get you out of it. Start looking for a new one. But as long as you have that job, realize that's God's will for you at this moment, at this time. It's to go into that place carrying the message. So, wow oh, man, I, that's that's kind of uncomfortable for me. That's not really me. And besides, there are there's other ambassadors at my plant. There's other believers where I work. No, that you don't get to write yourself off for that. Because you see, there's something particular about your personality. There's something about your past that will become the bridge by which that message can cross. God's will is that you, in your life, be a messenger to that place. We are an ambassador. I know we feel like, oh man, I don't feel like that. I don't feel like God is doing something there. I don't feel like God is using me in that way. As a matter of fact, if God's working, let me tell you something. My job, my situation, that relationship has to be on the extreme outpost of anything God is doing. You know what? When we feel like God's not a part of it, when we feel like He can't have a will for us in something, you know what we do? We do what He last told us. Be my messenger. Second thing we do is we trust. What do we trust in? We trust in God's promise. Psalm 138 says, The Lord will. Not not we can kind of hope. Not in a lot of cases. It says the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. You hear that? God has a purpose for you. And He's promising you He will fulfill it. That doesn't mean we always feel like it. That's why David goes on to pray, Lord, Your love is eternal. Do not, please, don't abandon the work of Your hands. Man, if you're in a situation, if you're in a place where you feel like, Man, God can't be here. God can't be using this. I feel abandoned out here. You know what God's saying to you? I love you. I see you. I am working. And I will accomplish what I'm doing in your life. And you know, what? we don't always want to hear that. But you know what that means? It means I am never in a single moment of my life in a place where I'm just living. Or I'm just existing. Or I'm just hoping to get it over. No, every place I am, there's a reason. If I let God, there is a reason everywhere I am. Man, only in Christ Jesus do we have that kind of confidence. Do we have that kind of direction? Paul goes on as he opens this letter. And he also says that he has the worth that we need. You see how he opens that? He says to the saints in Ephesus. And you know what? If he was writing our church, he would say to the saints at Colonial Heights. But we don't think of ourselves as saints very much, do we? Man, as a matter of fact, some of us come from a, from a tradition or a denomination where, where saints is a very, that's a small, very small, special class of people. And, and they're not even made saints till after they're dead. And, and, you know, somebody's got to prove they've done some miracles. And card tricks don't count as those miracles. Man, I mean, you know, I'm not a saint, As a matter of fact, you know what we hear at church? What we hear is just the opposite. You're a sinner. You know what? That's not true. Now, some of you think, did you just say that? Isn't that heresy? Pastor, I'm sure I've heard you say we sin. I know the Scripture says that all have sinned. That's right. Everybody has. But when we talk about sinner, we're talking about a person's character and a nature. Now, let's understand this word. Outside of Jesus Christ... Before we come to faith in him, yes, our character, our nature is that of a sinner. We are by nature in rebellion to God. Doesn't matter if you're a pretty good person. Your life is not yielded and submitted to living for the glory of God and for his purposes. So we are by nature a sinner, a person outside of Christ. It is accurate to call them a sinner. But inside of Christ... When you and I place our life and our faith in Jesus, we are no longer sinners. We are saints. The New Testament does not call... Go home and look for the verse. 27 books in there. Read through every one of them today. The New Testament does not call believers sinners. We're saints. Now, now what does that mean? I I don't feel like a saint. Do you? What does that mean that we're saints? That word saint comes from the Greek word agios. It means holy. Holy. So, in other words, saints is literally translated is just holy ones. Now, what does that mean that we have been called holy ones? I think we can get some help from this by going back to the Old Testament. Holy is God. Holy is where God resides. God doesn't mix with God, doesn't work with God, doesn't touch anything that is not holy. Holy. And so when the Israelites were creating a place where they could know God and worship God, first they started with the tabernacle, that was the temple to go, they started with that, then once they got into the promised land and they built the temple then, and so everything in that temple had to be made holy. And there was a purification process for everything. The priest went through a purification process. The clothes the priest wore went through a purification process. All of the furniture, the utensils, there would have been a utensil like this in the temple. Because you remember they were doing all of those sacrifices, cutting up all those animals, and there was knives, there was forks for moving things around on the altar. Everything in there had to go through a purification process. So this would have been brought into the temple. It would have gone through its purification process and then it would have been set apart. You've heard me define holiness as being set apart, haven't you? This has now been set apart. It has been declared holy. It's not that in and of itself it's holy. It's not that it's perfect. It's not not that it's perfect. It is that it has been dedicated now solely for God's use. Now, what does that mean? It means that, that when the priest got finished that day, I'm all done. I, I've done everything I'm supposed to do in here today. Now I'm going home. Oh, you know what? We've got a barbecue at my house. That I could use this. I could use this. Mine's broken. So I take this out. Do you know the moment I walk out the door with this? I was guilty of sin. And I was in deep trouble. Why? Because it's holy. It's been set apart. The opposite of holy is common. Worldly. See, this isn't for common use anymore. It's not for use by the world. It has been dedicated. It has been set apart just for the Lord. That's what holy means. And that's what Paul's referring to here when he says that you and I are saints. And you know what? Now God doesn't reside inside of concrete and bricks and sheetrock. God resides inside the body. He resides inside of me. And just like that temple or that tabernacle in the Old Testament, I had to go through a purification process because there was sin all over me. doesn't matter how much sin, doesn't matter what kind of sins. All sin puts me in rebellion to God. It means God can't live in this place. And you know what? I can't fix that. I can't change that. I can't be good enough to make it so as if that sin was never there. But you know what? Jesus was good enough for me. He was good enough for me on the cross. His death on the cross paid the penalty for my sin. And that blood washed away my sin so that I could be purified. And because now that I'm purified, God can dwell in me. And now my life, my body has been set apart. It has been dedicated. I can't use this body for worldly use. I can't use this body for common things. This body, this mind, this life has been dedicated to God. It's now holy. Boy, when you understand that, that makes a lot of sense. out A lot of God's commands, doesn't it? Man, we live inside of God's word. It tells me how to live in the way that I've been declared. You know what? I might be having a good day. I might be having a bad day. But you know, it doesn't matter what kind of day I'm having. I am always a saint. I am always I have always been set apart as special for God. I'm his tool now. And, and, and just like this utensil had a purpose, this utensil has a purpose. Carry a message, a message that people can be friends with God. Man, that's that's a lot of worth. That's a lot of value. That means everywhere I go, every relationship I'm in, I can do things. I can live in a way that counts forever because God is using me. Paul Dutton in there, though, he says not only does God provide the direction and the confidence that we need, not only does he provide the worth that we need, but he provides the security that we need it says there grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ that word grace is a distinctively christian word it's used 155 times in the new testament and a 100 of them are by paul paul liked this word he used it all throughout his writings and the word very simply means god's favor on us even though we don't deserve it you know what's amazing So many people in church today, all across America. And I would dare say most of them are there out of guilt. They're they're pretty sure God's angry. They're pretty sure He's ready to zap somebody. They know their life's not quite right. It's, It's messed up. And so maybe if I come to church, maybe if I put something in the plate, maybe if I do enough good things this week, I will earn God's favor. I will earn God's smile upon my life. Boy, we're certainly hoping for that when we die, don't we? That when I get there, He's smiling. When I get to that judgment throne, He's okay. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. He's already told us that. God's kindness, God's favor on our lives doesn't begin with something I've done. God's favor on my life begins with something that Jesus did for me. I've got God's smile. I've got God's favor. It's not because of how good Randy Hahn is. It's because of how good Jesus Christ already was for Randy Hahn. We've got God's kindness. And when he says grace to you, he's saying, man, live that grace. Seize that grace. Don't walk around in fear. Don't walk around in guilt. Walk around in God's favor. Live it. So what does it mean to live God's favor? You tell me. What would you do today? What would your attitude be about life, about that situation, if you knew, I've got God's favor on my life? Man, you've, what Paul's saying is, you've got it, so live it. Boy, we need to get that ingrained in our minds. We're going to do that right now. I need everybody on this side of the room. If you're on this side of the aisle, choir, just kind of divide yourself in half or make it up. I don't know. This side of the room, you say, you've got it. When I point to you, you say it. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. You're almost a little bit louder when I come back, okay? you got up in the balcony. Were y'all participating? I didn't look up. Okay, this side of the room, when I point to you, you say, So live it. Okay, one, two, three. So live it. You see, they, they were ready. They knew what was coming. All right, let's do this. Let's put this all together now. Here we go. One, two, three. You got it. So live it. So live it. So live it. There we go. I'm telling you, folks, this works. You've got God's grace. So live it. Don't walk around in guilt. Walk around in grace. God is smiling on you. And that comes from that. Then it results in peace. You know what peace means? Very simple definition. Everything's OK. We have some moments like that in life, don't we? We look around. It's, man, May's coming up. May gives us lots of blue skies. The bills are paid. The cars work. The kids are acting, you know, pretty much OK. My job's doing all right. And you have that moment. Hey, man, every, everything's OK right now. And then the water heater breaks, but that's a whole other story. You know what? God's desire for our lives is not that we have a moment. Oh, everything's OK. Quick, nobody move. No, God's desire for our lives is that our whole life is lived in that confidence that Man, everything's okay. And Ephesians is going to take us in two directions with this confidence. It's going to take us vertically. Everything's okay between God and I. Man, I'm not living in fear of dying. I'm not living in fear of going before the Almighty. I'm not living in fear of of whether my life was good enough to get in. That's all been taken care of. Everything is okay. And then God, the book of Ephesians, is going to show us how we take that vertical okayness and make it horizontal. How we get to where everything in our relationships, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ, how we get that to where everything is okay. You know what? We, when we see God work, grace is the reason. Grace is the reason that God works in our lives. And peace is the result. And you know what? We don't always enjoy that. I mean, that's a fact. It's a happen. That doesn't mean I'm enjoying it. That doesn't mean I'm living in light of it. But you know what? I can't mess it up. I can't lose it. That's a, that's a lot of security, isn't it? Think how much there is in our life that is one real big mess up for me losing it. One real big mess up for me not having it anymore. Man, what God has won in my life is secured in Him. We have security. And that's a pretty good opening to a letter, isn't it? I'd say that. I'm glad I wore this. Y'all have missed it. You'd have thrown the whole two verses in the garbage. We'd have walked right by it man, God has so much for us. But do you know what? I've kind of talked like this so much out there for us in life is out there and everybody's got it. Everybody doesn't have it. We know that. And these two verses also tell us who has it and who doesn't. There's three key words right there in the middle of these two verses. Notice it says there, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. It's only six chapters in the book of Ephesians. It's a short book. Thirty-six times Paul, in just these six chapters, is going to refer to being in Christ, in the Lord, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Him. Thirty-six times. Do you think he's trying to say something? You see, it's in Christ That I have this confidence and this direction. It's in Christ that I find this worth. It's in Christ that I have this security. Outside of Christ, we don't have it. And we can't do anything to get it. All we can do is come to Him. Place our faith and trust in Him. And then we're in Him. I mean, folks, we just read in 2 Corinthians 5, God's not trying to keep people away. He's sending us out, literally, the word there is to beg people to understand. God wants to be your friend. As you sit in here today, do you know if you're in Christ Jesus? You know what? If you even doubt for a second, say, oh, boy, I, I, I I don't know. I'm not sure. Or no, I know I'm not. You know what? The only way to have that knowledge is if God is speaking to you right now. And He's not telling you that out of anger. He's telling you that out of love. You're not in My Son. And I want you to be. I want you to have this life that's been provided for you in Christ Jesus. You know, as we conclude our service here now, we conclude all of our services pretty much the same way. We have a time of invitation. What's an invitation? We're inviting people to come place their life in Jesus Christ. You say, well, I mean, do you have to go up in front of everybody to place your life in Jesus Christ? Not necessarily, but I'll tell you this. Every person that came to Christ in the New Testament came publicly. It's not a private affair. It's not a personal affair. It's something that we do publicly. It's something we do as a family. And so when we conclude our services, because we know God's been with us. We know he has spoken and moved. And I know there's somebody in here right now who you know your life is not in Christ Jesus. And I would encourage you to step out of these out of these aisles here, come out down the gallery from the balcony, take one of these pastors by the hand and say, man, I want my life to be in Jesus. Let us pray with you for a moment, then we'll let you go over here and talk with somebody for a few minutes, a precious few minutes about what it means to have your life in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I wasn't planning on doing that today, and I know the traffic's going to be bad. I got to get out of here. Let me tell you something. There'd be no more disastrous decision for your life than to walk away from an opportunity to place it in Christ. Because He is life. Everything else is just existing. He is life. Maybe there's others in here today. You're in Christ Jesus. But you know what? You're not connected to a church home. You don't have a church family right now. This invitation is for you also. If you believe God is leading you to become a part of our church home and our church family, then we invite you to come and be a part as we together will study the book of Ephesians and find out all there is to living in Christ and then continuing in this journey until we go home to be with our Father. So as we stand and as we sing, is God telling you, you need to be in my son? Is God telling you to become a part of this church family?